Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4, 23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the types of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. We invite you to remain standing for the reading of the Scripture today as we enter into our new series. And for those younger members of the congregation, that's what used to be called a typewriter ribbon, right? <laughs> Those of us who grew up, how many of you in the church went to typing class? You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. So some of the kids may say, what is that thing? You know, so it's called a typewriter ribbon. So how many of you knew you actually had reached the next level of technology when your typewriter had the correcting ribbon in there? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. How many of you wore out those little sheets? Right? Okay. All right, we'll, we'll go down memory lane later, so. This is a series called This Is My Story, and as we as a clergy team got together, one of the things we realized is uh, we always are in the process of sharing and leading, but we also wanted to peel back that aspect of when you see us in leadership and just talk about who is Jesus to us? How did we enter into the faith? What is our story? So over the course of the month, you're going to hear from each of us to talk about how did we come to faith in Christ? How do we get into ministry, and, and what does that look like? And so the text I'll use to kind of base my story today for us before we move into Holy Communion is found from Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Hear now the word of the Lord. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And once they left their nets and followed him, he went on a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let's pray together. O eternal God, show us your word and your covenant in your word, your grace in your covenant, your goodness in your grace, your love in your goodness, and yourself in your love. All in the face of Jesus Christ. And may your Holy Spirit, O oh God, stand between me and your people so the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ. In whose name we pray, in whose name we gather, and in whose name we will depart and seek to serve you faithfully. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Oftentimes, um, children will come in and they're new to church. And when we typically wear our robes and stoles, um, I've had many a child say to me, um, what is your bib for? <laughs> you ever wonder, how did we get to where we are? Here's how I got to where I am. 
Mom and dad were missionaries in South America. Dad was a second generation. My grandfather and my father were both Methodist ministers. Granddad started out way back in the day when there was just Methodist Episcopal Church North and Methodist Episcopal Church South. Uh, dad actually started out when there was just the Methodist Church that had come together in the merger of 39. And, and I'd always been raised in church. I mean, I never knew a life without church. I, I don't have a grand and glorious story about drifting far away. As my sister says, in our house, we were slow cooker Christians. <laughs> sort of crock pot Christians, as some say, right? Um, and then other folks are maybe Instapot Christians. But I was raised in the life of the church. I never really drifted enormously far from the church. I always kind of knew of God's love. It was always a story that was there. But it's the bedrock of the church that oriented me to understanding who God was, the language of God. If you follow The Wake Up Call by J.D. Walt, and if you don't, I highly recommend you get that app, The Wake Up Call by J.D. Walt. As I was framing this and putting the finishing touches this week, he said about his own life, this journey, and this is how he says the creeds of the church faced him in the doxology, which we sing week to week. Here's how I define doxology. A doxology is a series of combustible words that when lit create fire in the sky to sing a doxology, to really sing it is to light a fire in the sky and allow yourself to become caught up in it. Don't you love that imagery? Leave that up there just for a moment. That imagery was my life for so much. I was I came to church, I, I sang the doxology, I knew the creeds. Um, whenever I got in trouble, I had to memorize a verse of the Cokesbury hymnal. How much of it I know is none of your business. <laughs> but I can remember going to church on Sunday morning. I remember the old hymnal that we used to have. Remember the M was on the back side of it. And we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, O Lord. The, the, the old liturgy, right? That was my life. It shaped me. I knew the creeds. I went through confirmation. And so I had the information that I needed, and I was being formed in so many beautiful ways, but it wasn't really until I came to my sophomore year, right before my sophomore year, after my freshman year of high school, that, that the faith that I knew in my head, I fully appropriated in my heart. I, 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 in, in that moment at FCA retreat at Oklahoma State University, I heard Mike Singletary talking about who Christ was as a preacher's kid, and it's, it worked for me in that moment. In that moment, I, I really felt like it was the first full surrender. You know the old hymn, I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him I freely give. It, it was that moment that I really kind of realized that. And, and I came back and, and, I, and it, was a, it was like I had a, a new lens to look through. I had, I had personalized this relationship. I wouldn't have known how to do that without the, the church that surrounded me, without going through confirmation, without knowing how to negotiate and understand where this text are. But I fell in love with the scriptures. I moved from having information about who the triune God was to having a personal relationship with Christ. And then I went to church because I felt like that's where not I was supposed to be on Sundays because that's the way you got to go to Sunday lunch. But it's where I went and I grew in my faith. And from that point on, it was really sort of a Philippians chapter 2, as Paul says, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I continue to grow in my faith. And what I didn't know that I was doing, I know now, is I was growing in sanctification. Now, sanctification sounds like a big word, but sanctification is to be set apart. It's, it's to be, live a sanctified life, to live a life 
holy in heart and life to follow what God wants. And so there were youth mission trips in which I would come and I would renew my faith. And that faith that I professed in that sophomore year became an even fuller commitment. And time and again that happened as I made those full commitments. This is that Bible I still have. It's tattered. It sits on my shelf from Mike Singletary. I go back to it time and time again because no matter what I do in the life of the church, I go back to this is my identity, grounded in the Scripture of God, a child of God, responding to the love of Jesus Christ. I said, I surrender all. Now, Mike Singletary signed the inside of that. And I now have two footballs signed by Mike Singletary. Thank you very much. But that was my personalized journey, my faith in Christ. And I was in athletics, and I really thought I was going to want to go into athletics and teach. And so I went on and played a year of college football, non-scholarship, Division III, NAIA. It was non-glorious at all. In fact, we were the kangaroos at Austin College. <laughs> okay, That's going to be real important because we were in an FCA retreat that freshman year of college, and all of us who came back, like, College interns were invited to come back and to, to act out our mascots in front of all the kids. And there was a group from Baylor. I was the only one from Austin College. You know how humiliating it is to imitate a kangaroo. When you're an offensive lineman in a non-scholarship school and the quarterback from Baylor is bigger, faster, stronger, and better looking than you are, right? But for whatever reason, it just, it wasn't filling that gap in my heart. I can remember many folks in the church saying, well, we think you're going to follow in your father's footsteps, in your grandfather's footsteps. And in some way I was distant from that. In some way I was, I was on a journey. I was trying to really discover. I was president of the FCA. I was president of the youth group. I was active in so many things. But I, I thought, well, I, it was going to be athletics, but it, but it wasn't. I'd always sung in the choir. I shared with you several weeks ago, and so I transferred to Hendricks College from my good friend Kevin Matthews was, and I joined the choir, and my mom said, oh, I see that there is a choir trip going to Italy. I'd like to let you know you're going, and we're sending you. <laughs> Come on, Mom. No, you're going. And so we went. It was a glorious trip. It's on that trip that amazing things happened in my life. I... Um, my mother told me, go to, the, go to the desk and find out what's not in the brochure that you need to see. And so I did that. And so we were in Fano, Italy. And, and I went out and, and to the front desk and, and, and said to the guy, hey, what are you supposed to see that's not in any brochure? And he said, have you ever seen the sunrise over the Adriatic? I said, no. So Fano, Italy is on the eastern side of Italy, far north. And, and so this is what it looked like that morning. Now, this was a picture that I took with the, and I'm, man, I'm just aging myself today. I had a 110 Instamatic camera. <laughs> you remember those? Now, I had my dad's 35 millimeter, but I didn't want to lug a camera out just to see a sunrise. So I had, by the grace of God, put the 110 Instamatic. That's all I had. And, and, I, and I carried with me all this stuff. God, what are you going to do with my life? What am I supposed to do with my life? I mean, I thought I was going to go into coaching, go into athletics. I just, I'm really searching. I'm really looking. I, I need something from you. I know what people say back home, and, you know, is it just the family business? Is, is ministry because it's, it's natural, because I've been raised in the life of the church? I know how to do all that stuff? And what I didn't get a picture of is a group of men that were fishing. And there was a guy out in the boat, and he was in the front of the boat holding up a net, and the other men were pulling the boat in with a net. 
And it started about 100 or so yards down beside me. And by the time the net came in, this is what was happening right next to where I was sitting on a rocky beach in Fano, Italy. They were sorting the fish. And in that moment, I heard a voice from God to say, Bert, this is what I want you to do. You see, the church had formed and shaped me. I didn't have to wonder, what did that image mean? I didn't have to wonder, what's the connection here, God? I knew the connection. I knew the story. The church taught me the story. Bert, I want you to be a fisher of men. Even before I was even aware, right? I, that conversion that happened my sophomore year, I, I went out of order, sorry, but put the slide up of this object right here. Um, by the time I was in seventh grade, I had already been in South America and in Africa with my parents in two different mission journeys. I knew the story of Christ. I knew the story of his love. This is something that's in my office. My office is sort of a pottery barn of things from all over the places I've been. Pieces of rock, sculptures, different things. This is from the Ivory Coast. In seventh grade, I remember buying this. And I specifically remember buying this because what it images, see how the middle fingers are together? In the Ivory Coast, and here I am, I'm in seventh grade, right? I haven't made that full profession yet. I bought this because I love the imagery that Christ would bring to people. When you were captured as a slave in the Ivory Coast, they would cut off your middle finger. So you could, all they had to do to distinguish if you were a slave or you were owned was this. You missed this part of your finger. So today in the Ivory Coast, when they shake hands to celebrate their freedom, they snap that middle finger. And I hung on to that. You see, God was already teaching me about the freedom in Christ. He was moving in my heart. He was shaping my life. All that was left was that full surrender of my life. And on that rocky beach in Fano, Italy, what I heard was, this is not your father's story. This is not your grandfather's story. This is your story. And I came back, in the first church they asked me to serve, they said, oh, oh so you're, you're in choir, that's great. We have a little church in Centerville, Arkansas that meets every other Sunday that doesn't have any utilities and only has shape notes in the hymnal. Uh, go out, and, and, go out and, and preach to them every other week. I said, do what? <laughs> yeah, you go, you raise the church, you'll know. And from that, a trajectory of ministry continued. I mean, I even dabbled in youth ministry at the church. I, I had my foot sort of half in the water. I helped out in youth ministry. I was a youth counselor. But, you know, I, it took that full surrender. And so I want you to know that that's my story about how I got into faith and how the church nurtured me. And I'll tell you this now. Even if I'm not a pastor, I'm still a follower of Christ. You see, you see, my identity is not in the role that I have. My identity is in the waters of my baptism. I'll talk to anybody about Jesus. And the thing I love is a lot of people don't think I'm a pastor. I don't look like a pastor. I don't sound like a pastor. And that's, to me, that's a compliment. Because I always love to say, well, what's a pastor supposed to look like? What's a pastor supposed to sound like? I'm just a follower of Jesus. Let me, let me capture it this way before we wrap up. In our Wesleyan Methodist tradition, not only do we place that emphasis that there needs to be a full personal surrender, right? There needs to be a personal relationship you have with Christ. You can have a personal faith. You cannot have a private faith in Christ. But you can have a very personal faith in Christ, bound in community, inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
This is what in the life of the Wesleyan witness we call the general ministry of the baptized or the general ministry of the church. We're all in a general ministry together by virtue of saying, I surrender all. All to Christ, I surrender. Then the church invites people and calls forth, God calls forth people from the general ministry to be set apart for specific roles of ministry. Bert, Stacy, Clint, set apart for that ministry. That's our role. That's not our identity. That's our role. Our role is to be in this with you together, to walk alongside, to tell you as a follower of Christ in the waters of our baptism, we are in this with you, and then to journey with you, to be a catalyst, to be an encourager, to be an antagonizer, to, to try to listen so clearly to God's call in our own life that we can listen together. But friends, that is my role. That is not my identity. What is your identity? Have you made that full surrender? Can, can you mark a point in time where you said, it's just all, I just surrender all. If you haven't, I want to encourage you to think about that. To think about how you make that absolute full surrender of your life to Christ. Now I want to tell you some things. It will not mean that everything works out perfectly. It's not a magical change. But what it is is this. It so knits you into the heart of God that even in the dark moments when you stumble, you know God is with you. And in the midst of the struggle, you know you've got brothers and sisters in Christ. And when nothing else in this world is there for you, there is one who will never, never, never leave you. His name is Jesus. That's what's my story. And what I hope is that I pray often, God, hide me behind the cross. When I say hide me behind the cross, it means I want Christ to be seen through me. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to hide behind the cross. I want to find that tension that exists between what is God calling me to do in Christ, but how can I do it in such a way that Christ is seen in me? That's what I want for you. I want that relationship in Christ for you. It doesn't mean you have to have it all figured out, friends. There was a ton that I, there is still a ton I don't have figured out. But I know how to sing with absolute conviction and honesty. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I hope you've sung that song. If you haven't, hang around today after worship. Let's set a time to visit about that. Let's talk about your life in Christ. And let me assure you, you can have questions. You can have struggles and still be a person of faith in Christ. It does not mean the questions are removed. What it means is this, that the one who calmed the storms is with you. That the one who sent the disciples ahead went to where he sent them. That the one who loved those around him, even when they betrayed him, slipped into the shadows and said they didn't know him, rose from the grave and conquered death so that you and I might know life and might know hope. That's how we are loved. And all you have to do is say yes and fully surrender to that love. Friends, don't forget this. There's a difference between church work and the work of the church. The work of the church is the product of a faithful response of people who say to Jesus, all to Jesus I surrender, 
All to him I freely give. I hope you can mark that moment in your life. And I hope that you can, in your own way, celebrate the freedom of Christ wherever you are. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your love for us in Jesus. Thank you for the freedom that Christ provides for us. Thank you for the love that you surrounded my life in through your Holy Spirit, the people who nurtured and shaped and formed my life. Help me understand the scriptures so when that moment came, I didn't have to wonder. I didn't have to be curious. I could act upon ways in which I was nurtured in the faith because of the people you surrounded my life with. God, I pray in the hearts of each of these individuals that are here today, that as they come forth in a moment to receive the breaking of the bread and the dipping in the cup of forgiveness, that you would move in their hearts and lives, stir in their memory all the ways you have been drawing them to the foot of the cross. Help each of us make a full surrender. God, some of us have been in this journey for a number of years, but it's a good day to surrender our life again, to say, God, here I come again. I receive what you've given to me. I commit my life anew to you. God, some in this place have never done that. And I pray that you would give them a sense of peace around their heart and life and help stir the conversations with those around them, even us as staff or pastors, that we would help be a part of what you're doing. But God, above all else, we give you thanks that you're God of forgiveness. So forgive us for the ways that we have failed to be an obedient church where we've left undone the things you've called us to do, that we've done the things that you, we know we shouldn't. God, we just ask for forgiveness in our hearts for those things, individually, collectively, communally. Even as a nation, God, our unfinished work of being bearers of justice and peace. God, we give you thanks that in this holy meal that you're giving your life to us, that in this bread represents your life, the bread of life. In this cup is represented your blood, the cup of forgiveness, given and extended to all. So pour out your Holy Spirit upon us gathered here out of love for you, O God, and upon these elements of the bread and the cup. Would you make them by the power of your Holy Spirit to become the body and the blood of Christ? That as we receive it, we would become the body and blood of Christ in the world, redeemed by your love, making us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry. Until Christ comes in final victory, we feast at that great and heavenly banquet. Through your Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God, now and forever. And with confidence of being your children, wherever we are in that spectrum of response to the love of Jesus, we unite our hearts together now, speaking these words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.